All right, you're very welcome along to this week's RT Rugby podcast. Joined as usual by Bernard Jackman and Sean Cronin is with us this week. Guys, thanks a million for joining us. Hope you're well. Yeah, good to chat. All good, good Neil. Thanks. Bert, I might start. I was reminded of the, the famous quote there in the last couple of days. There are, there are decades when nothing happens and there are weeks when decades happen. I think that is very much the case this week in the world of rugby. Where, where are we going to start? I'll throw this one out to the floor because we've got... We've got a long list here. We've got yeah. head coach sacking. So Eddie Jones in at Australia, Dave Rennie out. And also then as well, John O'Gibbs out at Claremont. That's probably quite far down our list on, on any other and any other week. It probably will be a little bit higher up. Champions Cup round three reviews, round four previews. We've got red cards dominating the games at the weekend. Five across the, the Champions Cup. Six nation squads are being announced this week. Ben Healy's called up by Scotland. We went into good detail on that as well. They've also brought in Rory McConaughey. France have a, a lengthy injury list. Ireland naming their Six Nations squad tomorrow. And we've got central contracted players not getting games for the provinces. Where will we start? Well, look, you've got a, a former coach and a, and a coach of potential, uh, a massive potential on the pod. So let's start with coaches. Um, I'm the former coach, by the way. Um, the uh, Look, at it, I think it's mad. It's, it's, it's amazing how things can can change so probably the last couple of world cup cycles there's been this sense that you know you, you stick you stick to what you have you know you back them to come right at the at the appropriate time and then you make your change whereas you know we've seen obviously um pivac jones going rennie going um, and that's opened up the opportunity for jones to get a second bite with australia it's opened up an opportunity for gatlin to get a second bite with with Wales and obviously Bortwick and, and, and Sinfield coming into, into England, which is frightening really, because I think, you know, England have, have, have such an, a big bounce uh, in performance. They're just waiting to happen. Um, and I think if, if one of these are successful or two or three are successful at this world cup, it will just change the whole landscape for professional uh, international rugby coaches for the next four years, because, the, they'll always be looking over their shoulder, probably less likely to go hard on development year one and year two, uh, to be honest, um, and become very, very, fo- very focused on the on the day to day results. And um, it's amazing, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm clued into a lot of the Aussie stuff and the media stuff and how this happened. And this has been going on, you know, back in uh, back in the summer. Um, Eddie Jones went to the the CEO's house for a. Uh, for a dinner, didn't want to go to a hotel because it would have been seen. So that flirtation has been happening uh, for a while. And I feel sorry for Rennie, to be honest, because he had an unbelievable um, injury crisis. And, and you know, like they came to Europe this this November without a lot of their key players. And, you know, we're, we're, we're far from walkovers. I mean, we were quite lucky to beat them. Uh, we took a, took a late Ross Byrne penalty, should have beaten France, just over-ambitious, could kick the ball out. Um you know, so Italy, the Italy game where he made whole chain changes was the one that caught him. And, you know, speaking to uh, uh, around Wales, Pivac, Pivac felt that it was a Georgia loss and, and, and the Italy loss, you know, in the Six Nations that that cost him. So you know, effectively coaches are now going to say, look, one one mishap and it could just put the whole thing into 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 jeopardy. But um, and then John, I think John is a very good coach, but like people need to understand that he was brought to Claremont to clean it up and to fix it and to rebuild it and you know he he dealt with some of the aging players problem he tried to find some new talent um and unfortunately it was going to get worse before it got better and and the board shit the pants and and you know he, he's gone now and, and you know uh, the new guy will start again so in some in sometimes that delays things rather than actually speeds it up so um it's certainly going to be interesting having eddie jones back you know, uh, for the World Cup from a media point of view is is obviously gold, you know, and uh, I'd be interested. I think Australia were ready to have a big World Cup anyway. Um, but it'd be just interesting how Eddie, how Eddie goes and, and has he, you know, uh, has he the ability to, I suppose, get a, a new team ready in a very short space of time. Yeah, and Sean, I think it was the, it's probably the timing that caught everyone by surprise with the, the Eddie Jones and Dave Rennie stuff in the last few days, because I think the there was a general consensus that Dave Rennie was under a fair degree of pressure throughout throughout November. And once he probably got through the the first few weeks of December unscathed, it seemed like, okay, they're probably going to stick with him at this rate. But obviously it seems reading back through what's been said now the last couple of days, the the plans really, the talks with Eddie Jones have been going 
pretty much since he was sacked by England, they've been making the move towards getting him in. And it probably just seems at this rate, like Australia probably were set with Dave Rennie until the World Cup. But once Eddie Jones became available, it was probably strike while the iron is hot and just jump on him and get him on board. Yeah, I suppose, look, there is little bits of info being drip fed out this week in terms of, yeah, that surprised me a lot that there was ongoing talks 12, 14 months ago with Eddie Jones and the, the Australian Rugby Union, which, you know, Dave Rennie was was cursed with injuries, especially on that November tour. And like Birch said, you know, not too far off beating France, obviously the Italy game where they made wholesale, cha- wholesale changes, thought performed really well against Ireland, unlucky, and then beat Wales. So, um, you know, when Eddie was leaving England, I felt I was going to get my withdrawals from not being able to watch his press conferences. But, uh, you know, I'd say we're, we're set for another interesting year with Eddie uh, um, in charge of Australia. But, yeah, I was quite surprised with that. But, again, I think he's a good guy to come into an environment like that in this short space of time and get, like, they're always dangerous at a World Cup. So if there's a character there to bring in to try and fix up, I suppose, a few areas in the Australian setup, it will be Eddie Jones. That's the that's the kind of scary thing I've been thinking of as well, Birch, that if there probably is one coach out there who you want to bring in, I, I know he's on a five-year contract and it's not just going to be a short-term thing, but if there is someone out there who you, who you want to come in and, and get that short-term bounce, it kind of feels like Eddie Jones is right up there on the list of candidates you'd be making. Yeah, he is. He is for sure. And and uh, like there is talent there. It's interesting. Part of the reason it seems that they went for him or weren't happy with Rennie was Rennie was just, you know, straight batting all the questions in press conferences. Rugby Union wasn't, you know, featuring on the news. And if uh, and the CEO, you know, he, he spoke about how Eddie Jones is going to get him back in the in the media spotlight. And already he's come out and said, oh, his first target is to go and get some, you know, rugby league guys who had a strong rugby union background back. And that's caused a bit of a, a spat with the NRL teams. And that Eddie will do that. Eddie will get you in the paper. It's just, um, it's just, can he do it? Can he get the team um, functioning? And it's going to be a very different way of playing. Like Rennie, in fairness to him, whether it's at the Chiefs, whether it's at Glasgow, um, had a very positive attitude towards uh, attacking rugby. And Eddie talked about it over the last year with England, but we didn't see any of it, really. I mean, he, he struggled to, to get it right. Now, he's very smart technically and tactically, so I, um, and there's no doubt he can do it, and he did it with Japan. But um, it's just going to be getting him in you know, ready in a short space of time. Like Dave Rennie had a camp last week, did a two and a half day or three day camp with the, with the, with the squad, you know, planning for the world cup. Um, and, you know, Eddie would have his own plan. So that, that was, a, that was a way. So it's definitely tight. Um, but look, with someone like Eddie Jones, you've got status, you've got uh, belief in himself and you've got a track record of being a world cup. So if anyone can do it, he can do it. And likewise with Gatlin going back to Wales, you know, he announced the squad yesterday. There's still a core of the players that know him well and trust him. Um, and maybe he can get them back to where they were at. But the challenge for Gatland is, and he was quite public on it, you know, he wanted to bring Rob Howdy back. The WRU wouldn't back him. You know, he wanted to bring... Um, he, he Well, sorry, he, he he obviously worked with Robin and Sean, Sean Edwards for a long time. So the band aren't back together. It's Warren with a new band. And um, how that works... Um, and given the, I suppose, the lack of probably new talent in Welsh rugby or lack of depth in Welsh rugby, that may not be as easy as it will be for Eddie Jones and, and Bortwick, who you feel have two squads that are capable of a little bit better. How much are, how much I presume are we, are we all hoping that Australia and England are meeting in a World Cup quarterfinal next, uh, next September, October? Yeah, I think I want that more than anything else in the World Cup, possibly even more than. But I want Ireland to do well. I think I just want to see England and Australia play each other. <laughs> uh, it'll be good viewing, like Bert said, from a from a media standpoint in terms of having Eddie Jones out there. But I I, I watched uh, Bortwick's press conference this week and was just super impressed with him. Um, and again, like Bert had said about this approach to the four year cycle of a World Cup, and I suppose that was Eddie's go to whenever they didn't have performances in November. We're building for the World Cup, you know. Bortwick, every game matters for England. We're playing Scotland in 19 days' time. Um, there's n- no, obviously, there's going to be in the background some forward thinking, but um, him coming in there along with uh, Sinfield is going to really, I think, make England a massive threat in the Six Nations. Uh, so, 
yeah, it'll be interesting, I suppose. Look, the Six Nations just around the corner, so more, I suppose, focus on that than Eddie Jones v England in the World Cup. Yeah, I'd say the um the Netflix executives are wondering have they have they backed the wrong tournament now? Should they be putting all you know, should they be doubling up and do some do some stuff with the rugby championship? Well, you got Razzie, you got Razzie Cheka, um Eddie Jones, you know, um and look at Joe, Joe's obviously interesting, but the Kiwis are a little bit they're not as um how would you say it? They're not as good at stirring things up, but check. Uh, you, need a, you, need a good, you need a good straight man in any of these. Yeah, these true. Actually, acts, yeah. you know, good cop. But just just on the on the Eddie Jones thing, I mean, what were the RFU thinking? Not putting him on gardening leave or having a non compete clause. You know what I mean? Uh, even to the extent of you can't, you know, you can't coach a team who are on our side of the of, of the draw or a tier one country. I mean, to pay out a guy and then allow him go back in. Um, and, and coach a team that you know you, you have a strong chance of running into um, seems seems absolute madness. You know, the I, I saw Bill Sweeney of the RFU quoted as saying it was they they, mar- they didn't agree with it morally to put in a clause like that in the contract. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah so, very, uh, very I think Eddie time. Jones' lawyer, Eddie Jones' lawyer, <laughs> did, a, did a hell of a job. I mean, one final point on this one though, Birch Dave Rennie. What what are the options for him next? I think there was there had been talk anyway in the last few weeks about him potentially going off to Japan after the World Cup anyway and coaching out there. What what sort of options? Where do you think we could kind of see him land in the next year or so? Look, he he, um, I think he's a very good coach. I, I genuinely do. And and speaking to people who've worked with him in Glasgow and the Chiefs and Australia, I met him in November, uh, and he was under the pump, but he still was you know very good with his time because uh, it was it was the week of the the Ireland game. Um, Look, I don't think I think it's probably a relief for him. He's obviously going to be disappointed, but the relationship between him and the board was quite poor, and and you can see that when they were already tapping up, you know, Eddie Jones. Um, so he's probably gone after the World Cup anyway, and and it seems as if he's got a couple of really decent offers in Japan. Um, Kiwi coaches tend to like Japan, um, because obviously it's big big cash, but it also is closer to get home, and there's it's, it's a shorter season. So maybe you know maybe haven't been in Glasgow, been in Australia. He now wants to um, get that balance right, uh, but I, look at—I think if any big job came up in, in, in France or or, or Ireland or, or yeah, Northern Hemisphere, he, he he's a he's on any shortlist. You know he, um, he's he's not going to be uh, defined by this. Uh, but I think it seems as if his his next move was Japan, and, and probably probably won't won't steer away from that. Is um is a Leinster senior coaching gig? too small for you know someone coming from head coach of a test nation or even John O'Gibbs as well are are these names are, are they a little bit beyond what's available in Ireland at the moment um I'll let Sean go go next but just quickly I think Leinster can get whoever they want if they I think financially if Leinster decide that that person is the is the is the one to to come in and, and fit that piece of the jigsaw or a slightly different piece of jigsaw that Stuart fitted because he's quite unique in in his skill set I think they can. It's one of the best jobs in the world. You're going to win. You know, you're 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 winning ninety percent of the time. Uh, you've got some of the best talent, great facilities, etc. Chance to be champions of Europe. Um, great stepping stone to a you know an international job again, or within Ireland or or, or elsewhere. So, no, I, I think Leinster can. I think Leinster can go to war with some of the top tier one countries if they want to. You know what I mean? But I don't know what Leinster. I don't know what they want next. You know what I mean? Uh, is it promote from within? Um, is it just bring in an assistant coach for for defence, or and and you know have have a defence coach and an attack coach with more power? I don't know, but um, certainly I would say if they weren't, you know, if they weren't they, uh, on any list last week, they're, they're people that guys to be in and Leo Cullen etc. will be looking at. Yeah, there'll be phones hopping. Sean, quickly before we move on from all of this, you were like you obviously worked with with John O'Gibbs. What could you tell us about what type of a coach he is? Yeah, look, he's very. Very good coach, very technically um, solid. Um, again, look, it's going back to what Bert said. It depends what kind of setup Leinster want to go with next year in terms of the coaching tickets, whether, you know, Leo goes fully director of rugby um, and bring in a John O'Gibbs type character as the head coach, we'll say, and then promote within. I've heard a few rumblings in terms of guys potentially coming up, getting promoted from within, but it's whether you have someone in on top of them then overseeing that, linking in with Leo, 
who looks after a lot of the player management, media, and bits and pieces culturally around the, the setup. So um, it'll be interesting. Um, again, being outside the squad now, I try to distance myself a bit instead of uh, plugging for information. But it will be, from what I've heard, is that guys like Goodman, Sean O'Brien potentially could be getting bumps up. And then whether they bring in someone to oversee that, like Bert said, Stewart had such a unique skill set in terms of being able to manage attack and defence so seamlessly that it's a big hole to fill. It's just how they go about filling it. Yeah, and just on Jono, and, and um, I think Jono's strength is is the technical areas of, of forward play in particular. And probably, yeah. you know, I, I, I always felt that maybe that role he was going into in Claremont was going to be a difficult one because mm. he's not... Um, He's not the warmest character or the most, you know, the best communicator or whatever. He's very direct, very grunt. And in France, that can be um, a big weakness, particularly when you're trying to create change. So he he could come into a Leinster where everybody is switched on. Everybody knows their job. Everyone's committed to it. Be that direct, you know, um, type of character. And because of the skill set of other people in the group and how long it's established, people wouldn't, people would crave that feedback rather than actually um, uh, frustrate them. But, you know, so I, I would I don't I don't think I think he he he's a, he's a very um, fluid in valuable coach. It just depends on the mix you want to uh, and the, and the group you're going to take on. And Birch, that's why. Sorry, just to sorry to longer on the point, but, um, that's something that drew Robin McBride to the setup in Leinster. Yeah, how much players uh buy into the detail, willing to learn the detail, all the technical side. So I know we're talking about international coaches, but like the lore of being in the in the Leinster setup the quality of player and the level of detail that the players are willing to buy into, it's a big, big selling point for any top coach that wants to get involved. And, and Robin wouldn't have had that in Wales. It's completely no. different over there. So, yeah, yeah. it's yeah, I, I can totally see how that makes sense. And also because Robin is is, is, is there and Leo is an ex-forward, you probably, maybe Jono's profile isn't needed as much as it might be somewhere else as well. But uh, look, he's definitely going to be someone that they have to look at. Yeah, and they won't be the only ones looking at them. On... On the games at the weekend, um, before we even talk about the, the rugby and the results for the Irish side, the red cards and just even the, the nature of rugby's discipline situation has kind of been a talking point now for a week or 10 days off the back of Owen Farrell going off to, to tackle school and somehow being back in time for the Six Nations with five red cards in the Champions Cup at the weekend. We have high-profile players like Luke Cowan-Dickey coming out on, twi- tw- on Twitter and saying the game is a joke over red cards in, in matches he's been involved in. Um, it's it's becoming a bit of a mess all round, Birch, the, the whole situation around rugby discipline. The players don't seem happy with it. The coaches don't seem happy with it. It seems that probably us on the outside are the only ones that seem happy with how much there's a clamp down on on head contact and red cards. But we're we're kind of caught in this... There's really tough middle ground at the moment, and it's hard to figure out how to get out of it. Yeah, look, Sean is 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 um, more recently retired than me, but I I think my sense of things is that um, players and coaches just want to be able to understand with as much detail as possible what the consequences are of of things or how 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 things are going to be interpreted. And I think you know we've all been shocked uh, um, of how there hasn't been a massive change in the amount of or limitation of the amount of head high contacts there's still a, a huge amount um despite the fact that this has become a big focus by the fact that concussion is is now um very much on the mind of of world rugby you know players you know uh, parents etc etc so there hasn't been that change and now there's a real sense of frustration and annoyance with with the uh, the amount of red cards to a certain extent, and and some of it's down to if your own, if some of it's down to your own team, you know what I mean. If if it's your team, so like um, the Irish are up in arms about all a lot of Irish fans are up in arms about Owen Farrell, and you know potentially being back, um, or not getting a red card at the time, um, but like the Johnny the Johnny incident could have been a red card as well, you know what I mean, and it wasn't, and and um, obviously the weekend was a you know Jack O'Donoghue from a monster point of view. Um, could have cost Munster the game, but is it a red card? I think it is. Um, but then you know, then I saw Les Kiss in the London Irish game where there's two red cards, and he was interviewed during the match, and he was up in arms saying, you know, he can't see it being a red card. But again, I when I look at, it, I think it is. So there's there's just um, 
there's just this lack of clarity. And the one that Luke Cowan-Dickey's gone mad about was uh, a red card for extra against the Bulls, which actually this morning or yesterday, they've actually decided it wasn't didn't warrant a red card. It was more of a seatbelt tackle. So you're having this um, worry and stress for players and coaches that every time something is referred to a TMO or a, a citing committee, they're not really sure how it's going to be um, uh, ruled, uh, what's going, uh, you know, what the rule is going to be or the sanction. So that's not good. And uh, and to be honest, um, I, uh, in the last week, I felt um, through coaches reaching out to me, uh, uh, asking me to kind of lobby this or float this through media or toward rugby or whatever, is is this sense of look at. You know, maybe we maybe we need to go to the NRL uh, model, which is put players on report. So, to fat to keep the game going faster, to keep fifteen v fifteen, or, or or sorry, limit amount of red cards. Not that you can't get a red card, but for for certain incidents which are marginal, that the, the referee or the TMO just says, "Look, Jack O'Donnell's on report. He's on report." And Monday, in the cold light of day, you know, with seven different camera angles, no. French TV director who's not giving you the angle you want um, uh, it, and they look at that and potentially the sanction is bigger potentially the sanction is bigger but there's a there's an opportunity for the player to argue his case there's an opportunity for you know um, the club to to argue their case or whatever and the game will still be safe but the immediate sanction doesn't ruin a game um, now I'm not in favour for this I actually I just think we just need to get on with it and um, continue to try and limit the amount of head eye contacts, but that's certainly, uh, you know, not every coach, but there's a, there's a, there's a swell of of um, uh, of support for that. And I don't know. I think we're getting into a the worry coaches have, and I'll let Sean talk now. But the worry coaches have is that a massive game will be decided by um, a red card, and whether that's Champions Cup, whether that's a URC final, a World Cup quarter final. Um, and it's not the fact that it could be cited by a red card, it's the fact that post red card, you know, it may be deemed that it wasn't, didn't warrant a red card. That's that's the big issue, you know. But uh, I'd love to know what Sean thinks because he's he's closer to it than I am. Yeah, Sean, like recently retired player now, recently begun into into coaching. So you're you, you've been able to see it recently from both sides of the both sides of the of the equation. Like, how much is how much has it been drilled into players out in the coaching pitch on a professional level, the importance of getting that height right? Yeah, well, I suppose if, if, you're, if I'm looking at it from my coach's hat on, you know, like from my own experience, Dean Leinster was flagged every week. Now, this is why the importance of contact skills coaches has really come to the fore as well. Um, you know, the communication to us every week is you're running the risk if you're going high. We got, you know, you got to get low. You got to, that's below the hips if we can. The other thing is as well, in terms of Bert, Bert spoke about frustration with supporters, fans. Supporters have to understand that the referees are working off a framework, right? So was it direct contact? Was there force, et cetera, et cetera? They are trying to take out the gray area. That's, in my opinion, more red cards than not, because that's what they're working off. Um, in term, terms of the code, you know, take the London Irish game, for example, at the weekend, the first one. I don't understand why Loader just hasn't dropped his height there. He's running the risk. He's he's I probably hit the guy's shoulder up onto the head. The second one, Kieran Parker with the clean out, just reckless. It's a red card. I know Les Kiss was voicing his opinion, but in my they're both red cards. So, like, is there constant communication from World Rugby from the URC, um, really stressing the top this topic in terms of players entry into the tackle zone, whether it's with the rock tackle because it's turning in now where we have incidents every week and. From a player's former player's perspective, I can't understand. I always went low. Maybe that's drilled into me over my playing career. I just can't understand why it it's players are still going high into contact because you're running a big risk not only to affect the, the overall team performance, but you're going to cop a ban as well. So um can't see the debate ending anytime soon, to be honest. Yeah, and uh, like on that London Irish one, as you were saying. Like I, I don't really think Les Kiss has done the the coaches no. any favors with his reaction to it by by saying he was like flat flabbergasted was the word he actually used on that that loader red card, and I actually think that's one of the easiest red card decisions we're going to see all season. Because I think it was sorry, it was like two two or three minutes before the next red card as well. Yeah, so that's it was you know it was 
yeah, poorly timed interview, if anything. Like he was, it wasn't even one of these situations where it was a split second incident where a player has dropped down or a player doesn't have the opportunity. Like he was covering in from, from the backfield. Yeah. And he just kind of ran into him. Yeah. Yeah. And for, for Les Kiss then, like his side have had five red cards across the Premiership and Champions Cup this season. That's more than any other team in the Premiership top 14 or URC across the, the three major leagues. It's it's not really a good look to have that coach of all coming out with it if you've had more red cards than anyone else across the season. Yeah, and look, I think it, it just goes back to the constant communication from the coaches to the players and then bringing that into your training practice, into the coaching setup, because that is the only way. It starts in pre-season. You don't start in mid-season after you've had a couple of red cards. It's about planning out, getting the good technique from pre-season, building into the season, maybe showing some clips in terms of you know what's done badly what's done well over the course of the year as well trying to drill this into your players that this is the way we need to do it going forward in order to limit the, the risk that you run in terms of losing players whether it's through a ban or on on, on the pitch at the current time mm-hmm. one one final bit i want to bring up in this and it's probably the it's after the red card it's it's now we're talking about the the bands birch and it I kind of wanted to bring it up last week but we were waiting on a decision for Owen Farrell and I didn't want to bring it up then when we did by the time of recording we didn't know what the actual punishment was going to be on Owen Farrell but if we were to go back to the Joe Marler incident from a few weeks ago and the suspension he got one thing I actually found quite interesting with that was I know a lot of people didn't agree with the length of it and this is nothing to do with that but the fact that they suspended some of the weeks of the of the ban I, I actually thought that that was a decent a decent way to to potentially move forward with a lot of these suspensions where instead of, you know, six weeks comes down to three because of the good behaviour and you said sorry and you behaved yourself at the at the hearing. I think a lot of people actually find that that part of the disciplinary process really, really annoying and really kind of disingenuous at this stage, because it kind of seems if you show up and, you know, you act politely at the at the hearing, that's that's one or two weeks gone off the suspension. You know, we see it the whole time. I I wouldn't mind seeing a situation where we'd say you get a six week suspension. The last two weeks of it are suspended for 18 months. Now, if you get another red card inside those next 18 months, you serve those two weeks plus whatever your new suspension is going to be as well. Yeah, I think I think it's a good idea. You know, I've yet to I think a serial killer would would bring tea and biscuits to the hearing. You know, I mean, you want to be absolutely uh off your head to go there and start picking up us and be, being an asshole. Yeah, that's that, that, that's one thing. Uh, wait, who was who was the last person or who has ever had in their like disciplinary hearing saying name and shame, we're adding name two and weeks on we're he's... adding two weeks on because their conduct at the hearing was not good. Whoever it is is after getting everyone else off about a cumulative of <laughs> two hundred weeks. But uh um no I think that's that that makes sense. I think that's more realistic than tackle school as well i mean i just think that's um that's a bit cheesy you know um and but again probably look at les kiss is a perfect example he's in the in a red hot seat you know he's it's very difficult for him to see the wood from the trees and and he's he's a great fella and a great coach Mm. um but it's clear from his remarks that he's struggling i thought graham roundtree in fairness just said after jack o'donoghue we got to do better but you're going to have you know, you're going to have different coaches who see things differently. You're going to have players who see things differently because, you know, they, they feel uh, vilified or, or their their careers are under threat because of this um, or, or, or the progress in their careers. So I think it's world rugby, you know, the uh, need to be stronger on us. And I'd have no issue with, you know, with suspending um, some of those sentences, but being very, being very hard on the repeat offenders, you know, and there are repeat, repeat offenders out there. Um, and um, they, they don't seem to, that doesn't really seem to be taken into account as, as strongly as it probably should be. Because I think, look, we all have made mistakes. We all, everyone's capable of making a mistake, getting their, their angle wrong or, or not dipping in time. Um, and, you know, you serve your punishment, uh, you learn from it, you come back. But for the repeat offenders especially, I think that suspended part of it would be, uh, would be ideal. Um, and look, uh, yeah, just to clarify, I'm not in favour of, of this NRL on report, but there's going to be a bit of a push for that for the next little while. And World Rugby have to decide if they're going to sit tight, you know, hold firm, actually double down to a certain extent and become stronger on the, on the sanctions and see if that works 
um, or if they're going to, to veer, veer left or right and, and see if they can find a different way of doing it. I'll give final word to you, Sean. Like, Birch is floating that idea that some coaches are in favour of, of, you know, potentially getting rid of red cards, putting something on report. What would What would your thoughts be on that? To be honest, I don't know. I'm not a massive uh, watcher of rugby league, but in terms of like, well, what does clarify a red card then? In terms of the rugby league or the NRL, Birch, you know, if you're yeah, put- sorry, so if, if it's a if it's a real violent um, act, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> and in fairness, they like like a deliberate, you know, you're just trying to take someone out, which doesn't happen all the time, but there's times when you know you can see that there's a bit of grudge and and someone uh, goes loose, um, a spear tackle. You know, something that's highly dangerous um, would go, would be red, right? So they're not taking reds out of the game, but those ones where, you know, uh, maybe a clear out, which isn't, you know, just head contact or, or whatever, where there's maybe mitigating circumstances, they're yeah. the ones that would report. Um, but no, there's still like if a fight, um, as I said, a spear tackle, a no arms, head high contact would go. But there's there's other ones where there's, you know, there's a, there's a two man tackle. And there's a head collision, which which isn't which is dangerous, but maybe not 100 percent deliberate. That goes on report. Okay, okay. I suppose Neil, from my, my point of view, I'd like to see us get the current system yeah, cleaned yeah. up. And again, I'll go back to with the coach's hat on. That needs to be cleaned up. Like we, I suppose it's hard to get a feel of what every club is doing, but there needs to be some accountability in terms of what is being coached to the players. Mm-hmm. Because and a big thing as well as the repeat offender, like Bert said this thing of getting weeks off, if you've been up in front of a disciplinary committee two, three times is outrageous because you need to be, the, need, the punishment needs to fit the crime in terms of if you keep doing it two, three times because no one's going to learn then and nothing's going to improve with the situation. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what, if anything, happens over the next few months. Let's um let's talk about some actual rugby because there was a good bit played over the over the weekend as well. Um, I'll start with Leinster's win against Gloucester because... um. I've been accused in the past of this podcast of not talking about Leinster enough. And in fairness, I do agree. We probably actually don't talk about Leinster enough because they they just tend to go about their business so comfortably and without any kind of, you know, remarkable incident. Everyone just seems to play at a pretty decent level and they get the job done done pretty easily. But it was another fairly comfortable win. Flexed the muscles a few times against Gloucester. I do want to talk, though, Birch, about Jamie Osborne, who just continues to look really, really impressive and the one thing that has struck uh, struck me about him is his try at the at the weekend, for example. That was only his second Leinster try, and I think when a lot of these young players break onto the scene, we will talk a lot about, or or a lot of the conversations we'll have about them is about how much they're scoring and and how much they're involved in these big moments. And I think it says a lot about someone like Jamie Osborne for his age that he's only scored two Leinster tries at this stage, but he's someone we've been talking about continually now for for the guts of a year. And I think that says a lot about just how probably mature and comfortable he's looking in the in the Leinster team. Yeah, for sure. And and they've had big raps on him. And Sean would have been there when he when he broke through. But they've had big raps on him for uh, a long time. And and like he's come through the the youth system. Um, obviously CBS and Ace and Nace Rugby Club. Um, so he wouldn't have had the same training hours. But from that first match he played against Scarlets, where he made that you know massive massive hit. Um, I just think he's he's risen to whatever challenge they've put in front of him. And, you know, the URC now he's, he's very, very comfortable. And, you know, now he looks very comfortable at champions up level, which is another level up, although Gloucester aren't, there's better teams in the URC than Gloucester, but it is another level up in terms of um, intensity, the pressure to perform, um, the team you play with, you know, because generally the Leinster are full strength or very close to for Champions Cup games. And now the question mark is, you know, Will he ha- will he be able to step up the international level? And to be honest, uh, everything he he's done so far, he seems to take it in a stride. And um, I think he can. He, he he definitely look. If he doesn't get injured, he's going to get capped for Ireland. Um, but you would you'd be kind of looking at him going, wow, he could be one of those players who goes into the Irish team and looks comfortable from the start, and and becomes a a, a very important player for for Ireland in time. So um, yeah, he's and and look, the problem is. The reason we don't talk about Leinster that as much as we do others is because they're generally just motoring along, yeah. you know, and there's not any crisis or pressure or whatever. And, you know, so, but, but then when you see someone like Jamie come through, I think, you know, um, it, it, he's definitely worth, we're talking about. 
Yeah, they don't give us enough talking points. Um, Sean, on Jamie Osborne, obviously you you really got to know him and got to got to play with him a little bit over the last your last couple of seasons in Leinster. How how impressed have you been with him over the last couple of seasons? Yeah, look, like like Bert said, he's kind of just progressed level on level over the last kind of couple of years. Uh, you know, when a guy comes into a setup and has the movement of the play and is able to turn the corner well and square defenders up, and you just kind of get a sense that. He has something about him. He, he he had that the minute he came into the sessions. Big guy, six foot two, six foot three. Um, real unassuming guy. I think the biggest work on that Stuart and the coaches were trying to get out of him was to find his voice a bit more, which every young guy coming into an environment like that is just trying to pull that out of them slowly, give him the confidence to speak in meetings. So, um, you know, it's really exciting to see him come through another guy that's kind of been drip fed in over the last couple of years. And I have down here, my, you know, Brian Deeney, kind of coming into squads, uh, Michael Milne at Loosehead. So um, big talent coming through, probably treat those three guys at different stages now. Like is Jamie Osborne ready to step up to the, to the next uh, level in terms of could it be in the squad tomorrow? Um, so like you said, you know, Leinster have been motoring pretty well, even with the retirement of some key guys last year, they're going okay, you know? So uh, they, um, it's, it's impressive the way they're just, you know, every week consistency and performance across across all the areas yeah it's remarkable to haven't fallen apart now when we think about it with the, the players they lost in the summer can't work it out in my mind <laughs> um finally on osborne though like as you said there's a six nation squad tomorrow is there like he's he's trained with ireland before he was involved with the a's as well back in november do, do you see him being able to sneak into that squad for the six nations or is it just a little bit too early it's hard to know. It's it's Andy Farrell's not afraid to make big decisions like that. And obviously we've heard some rumblings come out this week, whether they're true or not, just around, I suppose, Bundy at Connacht. And, um, but his versatility will obviously play in his, his favour. Like he's played full back at 20s level, uh, 12 now, 13. So, you know, it, it's, it's a call that Andy Farrell could make. I suppose we just have to wait and see what happens tomorrow. Um, but like Bert said, he's going to get capped sooner rather than later. It's just whether it's during the Six Nations or not. Going to your head, Bert, is Ross Byrne in the squad tomorrow morning? Yeah, yeah, I think he, I think you carry him. Johnny has Johnny will be fine, but there's obviously he hasn't been playing, so I think you go with four. Okay, um, you go with four to start and 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 see where you're at. And Ross, Ross obviously finished November with with a real positive, and and he's got game time now, and and, and it's been going well. So I think he'll be in for sure. Yeah. Um, moving on then, another player who's made a real good push after having disappointment in November. We're going down to Munster now, Gavin Coombs, who was dealt a, a fair blow when he was kind of dropped out of the Ireland squad back in November. But his form since then, Birch, he really seems to have taken that, taken that criticism that he probably had and taken that feedback. And he's really contributing, not just in the 22 where he's scoring loads of tries, but contributing around the pitch a lot for Munster in the last few weeks. No, no, he's been brilliant. Exactly what you want from any player, but particularly a young player who, you know, when you come into the scene first, it can be quite easy sometimes, you know what I mean? Um, no one knows anything about you, particularly someone like Gavin who's who's got a natural amount of, of power. Um, and to be honest, I, I, would, I would have been worried about some of his tackle tech. I didn't think he was a great tackler for a back row, but he was very much focused on on his, his, his what he's world class at, which is carrying, but um, and obviously that game against um, the All Blacks didn't go well for him, as not just him, lots of players that night. Um, and he lost out um, on opportunities to get more minutes, obviously got some feedback, and he's just reacted in an incredibly positive way. And and there's probably, it's a great sign for him because, you know, even the, the legends of Irish rugby or a monster will be like Connor and, and Peter Mahoney, um from Munster's point of view, they would have had times over a career where they, they had a little dip or they were questioned or had asked to improve in a certain area. And they did, you know, and, and now they've had phenomenal careers. And Coombe has been able to take that disappointment and come back better. And, and it, it wasn't just last weekend against Northampton where obviously, you know, he was very active, 15 carries. But against Northampton away, he had 25 tackles which and he led the tackle stats. And, and um, you know, he just looks... He looks like he's got a better ability to just stay, stay in the game minute by minute. Whereas before, he was a brilliant man for big moments, and, and they're important. You know what I mean? They're they're, they're crucial. But um, I think now he's put his hand up, and 
Jack Conan hasn't really had a huge amount of game time. Um, uh, Leinster have obviously been flirting with that Baird, Joshua and Fleer, um, Doris partnership. Um, so it'll be interesting if if he can get minutes in this Six Nations. I love the fact he played lock there a couple of weeks ago as well, because that's obviously going to be really helpful to him in terms of any you know World Cup squad um, having that versatility. So no, full credit to him. Do you think he's back in the squad tomorrow, Sean? I'd say so, yeah. And again, going back to that all the All Blacks game, fifteen game in November. You know, the game didn't go well for a number of guys, but with Coombs, it's his, it's his meters and contact is just so so impressive. Um, and uh, he's kind of coupled that in now with the with in terms of his his tackle technique, his stats. Um, so. You know he's definitely put himself in the shop window, playing playing really really well. Big moments through tr- throughout the game. Apologies, uh, big moments throughout the game as well. So, um, yeah, I'd be surprised if he if he wasn't involved in that squad tomorrow. Um, there were other there were some big calls from from Graham Rantry in that game against Northampton at the weekend. Obviously, Connor Murray and, and Keith Earls both fit and available, but but weren't selected. Two centrally contracted IRFU players and Birch. It was. That was a big moment in kind of Roundtree's journey as a monster head coach to make a huge decision like that and ultimately to get the the positive result and positive reaction out of it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and fair play to him. It can't have been easy. Um, but I think he has given the youth their, their opportunity and, and he's rewarded the ones who've taken it. And, you know, it, it's far easier to pick Conor Murray than pick Paddy Patterson. You know what I mean? In terms of... Um, you know, having that conversation with Paddy Patterson, you know, he obviously will will be highly ambitious. He's been going well, but you know, he it's easier to let him down than it is let Conor Murray down. And the hard thing to do is to do what he did. And uh, I think he he hasn't put look. The results haven't been perfect, but he hasn't uh, made many mistakes. Uh, Roundtree, to be fair, you know what I mean. Um, I think he's he's trying to change how they play um, he's brought back in some monster coaches and and uh, and obviously Mossy Lauder coming in next year is another one um, and you know he's blooded youngsters uh, and he's handled the, the disappointment pretty well post-match um, you know he, he, with, there's been some tight losses um, and, and some very poor performances early on in the year where he could have lost his head and he didn't um, and now he seems like he's he's starting to be able to to um, I suppose break up that old squad and put his own stamp on things. So um no fair play to him. And then Sean, I'm flying through these next where we are running out of time. But Bundyaki obviously is the, the other curious situation here where he's struggling to get into into the Connacht team at the moment. I think initially there was probably an assumption that he was being rested, but now that we've gone through a couple of games and it's Carl Ford who started uh the last two over him, we don't know what's gonna happen this weekend in the Challenge Cup as well. But you know. Uh, Pete Wilkins and Andy Friend have been pretty clear that this is this is a selection call. This is the team that they want to pick at the moment rather than resting Bundyaki. And, and for someone who hasn't really actually played that much rugby all season due to the suspension, um, it's a it's a tricky situation for him to be in coming up towards the Six Nations. Yeah, to, to be honest, I, I suppose with all the, the policy around uh, players being rested around Christmas and then his ban, I, I didn't really take much notice until there was a few rumblings in the in the media or press or whatever this week um yeah look i, I suppose the coaches are are approaching this from a player performance t- uh type of viewpoint where you have those couple of young guys coming in playing really really well uh tom farrell going well at 13 so look when you break it down bundyaki is a british and irish line irish international undoubted quality so you know, if Connacht had a massive URC game this week, would he be slotting in at 12? I, I probably think he would be. So I don't know whether it's just an approach from the coach to keep everybody on their toes, uh, keep the level of performance where it is and drive things that way. But it's it's hard to know. Like I said, I only heard about it this week, but there's no doubt in the quality that Bundyaki brings, both from uh, a leadership point of view, um culturally around the, the the setup in Connacht so it's a strange one uh where you'll have to see how it, it plays out but again I, I can't see him not being named in Andy Farrell's squad tomorrow he's such a big part of that Irish setup as well so it's it's interesting but again we'll have to see how it plays out in the next couple of weeks 
yeah, I think we'd we'd certainly Bert, I, I don't know my speak of you, but I'd certainly expect him as well to to be in that squad tomorrow. But it's probably it's another question then about what a, a centre pairing looks like in the Six Nations. Yeah, look, he'll, he'll be in, and and there'll be no issue with his attitude in Irish squad because um, you know it's 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 be a bit of fresh air for him if there is if he is going through a bad patch down there, um, and the quality of players around him will will mean it's necessary to have a good attitude or he'll be told about it. You know what I mean? And that's sometimes the challenge for um, someone, you know, a British and Irish in line in a, in a, in a, in a smaller club to a certain extent or a smaller province where maybe it's just a lot of pressure on you all the time to, to be that voice, to have that energy, to be that star player and players are human. So um, like I think, I think look, the rumours have been going on for a while since actually the, the, the first game of the season where he got that red card in South Africa. Um, and he hasn't really hit his straps for, obviously he had a suspension, but just hasn't really been firing all cinders. I thought against Ulster, he was very quiet um, over Christmas and and obviously friend he's, he's been able to rotate a little bit in the Challenge Cup and get wins, get wins, you know, because of the, the level of opposition, which makes it easier then to double down. And especially if a youngster like Carl Ford coming through, um, who takes his chance? Well, then you go again. Um, but uh, look, at it. there's a lot of history between Bundyaki and Connacht, and there's a huge amount of things he's done incredibly well. Um, and these things are uh, these things can be fixed over a conversation and a handshake, you know, and uh, go again. So I, I wouldn't see it as being in any way faithful. It's interesting, you know, because we don't hear about it very often in Irish rugby. It's, it's every second week in France. There's some player. You know who's gone off the rails, and and that's in the press. So for us, it's like, oh, what, what's this? You know, um, and the reality is, it might be a huge amount. It might be just yeah. struggling for a bit of form, maybe a few yeah. niggles, maybe a little bit unhappy in his own in his own mind about how things are going, uncertainty about a new coach, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Could be anything. Um, but the most important thing is it, it gets uh, it gets it gets sorted out. Last um, last we'll touch on Ulster as well. Um. I was commentating on their game against La Rochelle on, on Saturday. And to be honest, once the hour mark hit and it was still scoreless, I was kind of hoping we'd get nil-nil for full time just for the sheer novelty of it. But um, look, it's another defeat for, for Ulster, Sean, and hugely disappointing, obviously. But I thought they looked in terms of mentality and in terms of their their intent and, and the way they approached the game. I thought they actually looked miles above what they had for a couple of weeks um, on Saturday, given how bad those conditions were um, against La Rochelle. Yeah, uh, what a game to be commentating on. I actually <laughs> was watching it uh, out of sheer interest. Yeah, look, it was. They they brought an incredible attitude down there, going down to the, the home of the champions. Um, obviously, look, the weather conditions were appalling. But again, there, there are the days we need to front up in terms of application around the mall like you're going up against a massive massive pack the scrum so they fought they fought and they battled right till the end they were so unlucky um you know that last minute pick and go reminded me of another try they got last season so uh to to sneak the win but yeah look there's definitely green shoots there for them uh to bring into this week um to try and build build some confidence on and like i said half the battle sometimes to try and get confidence going is just looking back and showing we all bought in uh, we battled for 80 minutes, we fought for each other and then just try and bring something out of that for the following week. Yeah, and Birch, like, I know it's probably an indictment maybe of the format in the Champions Cup, but even after three defeats, their bonus points are keeping them in it. And with Sale this weekend and the Claremont away to the Stormers down in South Africa, there's a very, very good chance that if Ulster win on Saturday against Sale, they will be in the last 16. There's a very, very good chance of it. Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing. It's amazing the um, the new format and how easy it is to. It's actually harder to miss out, I think. Um, <laughs> but no, I didn't look at. I, I I actually don't think that's the be on end all uh, for them. It's actually just getting back on track, uh, getting back on track, and being able to, I suppose, take heart from that game. So the problem for me is is when the weather was as bad as that, and La Rochelle went, you know, mixed their team up a little bit. It's okay. It's testing your heart uh, and your desire, but it's not really a test of of some of the issues that have been um, affecting them, which is a lack of cohesion in, in attack and a pretty porous defence, and in terms of making bad reads on the edges. So, you know, that's that's something that I, I'm fascinated to see. Um, can they fix? And if they fix it, they can go and have a, a really good end of season 
in the URC and 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 fight for a top, you know, for a home draw. And if they get back to where they were at pre Leinster, you know, no one would want to draw them. You know what I mean? Like they were very very close to getting uh, getting to an, a final last year in the URC. Um, and for me, that's I, I look. They're not obviously they could win a Champions Cup, but realistically, do I see them win this? Certainly not at the moment. So um, I think the most important thing is that they just get that performance that gives them confidence going into Stormers next week in Ravenhill, which is the last game before the international break, and then come back out of the international break as a, a back to where they were at. And just final point on on Ulster then as well, Birch. They've continued their recruitment for next season. Dave Ewer is joining from from Exeter. Real, real veteran, more than 200 games for, for Exeter, a couple of premiership titles and a Champions Cup as well. And uh, whatever I've seen of Exeter over the last few years when he's been playing, you know, they've played against played against Munster a couple of times last season um, and they played Leinster the season before that. He's a hard as nails back row. Yeah, very good sign. Probably unfortunate not to be more be involved with England. Obviously, Zimbabwe and Bourne, but... Um, uh, He's a good signing, and, and again, it's it's worrying for Exeter when you see they're losing Luke Cowan Dickey, um, they're losing someone like Dave Ewers, who's been huge for them, you know, a talisman for them, um, and it's down to the salary cap, you know, limitations. But from an Ulster point of view, I think he's a good signing. I don't think Vermeulen was a like for like for Kutsia in terms of his ability with ball in hand and giving him that punch. Now Ewers isn't a Kutsia either, but he's a very effective ball carrier. Um and yeah, you know, you know what you're going to get with him, and uh, I think that's a good bit of business. Is he someone you came across? I know you had a, I can't remember where you playing that 2021 quarterfinal, Sean. But did you come across him? I know you'd you'd pool stage games against Exeter down the years as well. Is he someone you played against much? Yeah, no, he is. He's uh, like you said, hard as nails. Again, he'll add a lot in terms of his mall, like very strong in the mall, setting the mall, getting that punch forward. Um, really good in around the tight in 22 exchanges so he'll be a really good sign again you know mightn't give the, the ball carrying now so I could see it but um, really good bit of business again coming from a real good I suppose culturally sound set up in Exeter where built on success and he'll bring a bit of that to the, to the set up in Ulster as well so um, yeah looks like a good bit of business but yeah Exeter losing a lot of players Jack Noel as well potentially on the way out so um yeah, no, it's good. It's a good bit of business and I, I, I could see him doing well in Ulster. All right, it's going to be interesting to see that. Fellas, thanks a million for joining us. I think we've crammed a fair degree into the last into the last 50, 50 minutes. We've done we've done pretty well to keep on a tight schedule. But um, for those who want to find out a little bit more about the permutations for this weekend in the Champions Cup, I've done all of those up there on rt.e forward slash sport. There are a lot of different outcomes and a lot of different ways that we can get there. So if you want to figure out what your province needs, go have a look at that as well. A reminder as well, Leinster against Racing 92. That is live on RT2 and RT Player this Saturday evening as well. And also live coverage on RT Radio 1 of that game as well. But uh, uh, Sean and Birch, thanks a million for joining us. And uh, enjoy the games at the weekend. And we'll see you again soon. Thank you. Thanks.